Mark Randolph, who was one of the co-founders of Netflix, talks about how the early days of a company are really just all about triage. He says, you want to do a hundred things, but you can only pick three. And it's really hard to say no to those other 97 things. When you're a larger company, you have capacity to do a lot more things. But when you're a small company, it's about picking the three that are the right ones. And if you don't, your company dies. I'm Ben Grenell, part of the early startup team here at Levels. We're building tech that helps people to understand their metabolic health, and this is your front row seat to everything we do. This is a whole new level. Bike shedding. What exactly is it? Well, it's a term that Sam Korkos, co-founder and CEO of Levels, uses often. It's something that we've started referring to internally more often as we work on more projects, as we undertake certain initiatives. What exactly is it? Well, it's the idea of avoiding certain things that are hard, avoiding working on meaningful projects, and in lieu, starting to work on things or spend time on things that are less important. And so where did this idea come from? Cyril Northcott Parkinson was a British naval historian. And Parkinson observed that there was a committee organized to approve plans for a nuclear power plant in a small town. And they ended up devoting a disproportionate amount of time to relatively unimportant details, such as the materials or the color that would be used to build the bike shed. They spent more time discussing that than the actual plans for the nuclear power plant. And so Sam and I sat down and we discussed this idea of bike shedding, how it happens in companies and how people can think about avoiding it. It can come at a huge cost to companies and it can cause many companies to fail if they get too wrapped up in this idea of working on the wrong things, discussing the wrong initiatives or just pursuing way too much bike shedding. Here's the conversation with Sam. Okay, so thought it would be good to get into this idea of bike shedding. The first time it had ever come up was a conversation. I think you, you had notoriously brought it up, but it's something that we refer to internally. And it's important to keep in the back of minds when it comes to projects, when it comes to company building, when it comes to everything. So why don't we go into what exactly is bike shedding? Where did it come from? And why should people always keep a lens on it within organizations. Yeah, it's it's one of those terms that's pretty common within engineering teams that uh, I was surprised to find is not as more, is not as widely used. Um, there's another term that's often used in engineering, yak shaving. It's another one that... Uh, <laughs> what is that one? <laughs> Let's hear that. Yeah, the, the idea is that uh, shaving a yak, by the time you've finished shaving it, the part where you started is has now regrown its hair and so it's like <laughs> it's like a task that you never finish you're just yak shaving you're constantly just working around this giant animal and it's the sorts of projects where there's never it's when scope continues to increase and the project just never ends and it's incredibly painful and frustrating that's yak shaving it's a common term that that's used in programming um bike shedding is another one that's pretty common the idea of bike shedding is actually, uh, it's also known as the law of triviality. You can look it up on, on Wikipedia, I'm sure. Uh, it came from 
what is potentially an apocryphal story, but somebody, I think it was an economist, wanted to understand how decisions were made in local governments and looked at a town that was building a nuclear power plant in their town, which is a pretty big decision. And he wanted to understand how these decisions get made. And he was surprised to discover that the overwhelming majority of the conversation had to do with what color the bike shed should be and like how many bikes should it hold and completely missing the point of like, should we build a nuclear power plant in our town or not? <laughs> so, um, people will often fixate when, when there's a really hard problem, people will often fixate on something that's small and understandable that they feel like they have control over. So like, should we build a nuclear power plant in our town? There's a lot of like consequences to doing that. Like maybe it's good, maybe it's not. It's, it's hard to be the person to take responsibility of that. It's a really uncomfortable thing, but like everyone has an opinion on, should it be blue or green or like whatever the bike shed should be. So the, the challenge is that I, I think most startups in my experience ultimately die because they bike shed themselves to death. They have these really big problems that they need to solve and they know they need to solve them. But like, we could just do a rebrand instead. Let's do that because mm -hmm. we have control over that and it'll look nice. And you know, mm -hmm. it really, the brand really needs a facelift. So like, let's do a rebrand or I know there are so many of these things that are just classic distractions. We need to redo our logo because our logo is too, it's too, it needs something needs to be fresh, small incremental changes to features when a, a common term would be turd polishing, where they, they focus <laughs> all of their time, just like making the thing that they already know is bad, more useful, even though they know that they need to just get rid of it and try something else. Mm -hmm. But it's really hard to let go because when you, when you do the hard thing, you're taking a risk. And people are really afraid of taking risks. So the, the focus ends up being really just narrowly scoped to, uh, whatever the smallest incremental easy thing is, uh, and avoiding the really hard problems, which is really what it's really the only thing that people should be focused on is solving the hard problems. Yeah. Bike shedding is very much a way of avoiding deep work, but making oneself feel productive. So if you're doing a lot of these small tasks that require shallow thinking, like call a spade a spade, uh, you're deciding on the hue of the bike shed color. Like that is pretty shallow as opposed to <laughs> the mechanical inputs required to actually like build this nuclear power plant. So in the, we'll call it in the celebration of avoidance, a culture of avoidance, it's really easy to feel good and for other people to start celebrating these things that feel good. Like, hey, man, you did such a great job choosing that hue of the bike shed, right? And you sort of forget and everyone rallies around this. And that can be, it's not just the productivity and the company killer, but it can also be this rallying cry for working on the wrong things. And so avoiding these hard tasks in favor of the easier, comfortable ones. Um, it's also analogous to the idea of like avoiding difficult conversations of facing things head on. So it's, and things sure. just get worse over time. So like if we know because of group norms, if everybody's really into the idea of the bike shed or the feature, or it doesn't matter what's being built, but everyone really gets behind the rebrand. There's like nine people 
and the one person is afraid because of group norms to have that difficult conversation and to say like, hey, everyone, I don't know if like we should talk about the color of the bike shed anymore. Then you're you you stand out as the outcast like, hey, man, like, why aren't you coming along for the ride? Right. And so you can it's easy to fall to fall into that trap. And so the important thing is to to be aware as a team of pulling everyone out of the weeds when this kind of thing starts to happen. Yeah, it's a, there's a, there's a Buddhist saying, which is something like the problem is not that the hard things are hard. It's that there are often easy alternatives. I'm butchering the exact phrase, but the idea is that it's sort of like when we know that there's a particular project that we should be doing, we tend to procrastinate because it's like, it's way easier to just open up Twitter and distract yourself for a few hours. Like yeah, I could work on that really important strategy doc that's due next week. Or I could just do email for a little bit. Um, it's really easy to get distracted by these easy alternatives and convince yourself that you're making progress because you're doing something. Ms. talks about, uh, there's that, that uh, essay on LARPing your job, which is how a lot of people live their jobs in Slack is they, they make sure that the green like online thing is always there and like they <laughs> randomly will contribute to channels here and there and they're just like taking in these fire hoses of information but they're not actually working they're just like doing all of the actions of working i i, I don't think i think most people don't intend to do that and don't want to do that the problem is that some of these tools and processes make it really hard to do good work that's mm -hmm. one of the reasons why we're so focused on this deep work culture and uh, asynchronicity is that most people in my experience really want to do high quality good work, but they, they have just a really hard time with the way that the tools and the processes are set up to just be able to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it can be such a slippery slope because you end up doing this busy work and it takes a while, but before you know it, you don't really realize it, but you're not actually solving this problem that you set out to solve. Like the initial, the mission of whatever company you're part of or whatever project you're working on, you're trying to solve. That's what people do. They solve problems and they make decisions all day. But making the shallow decisions feels really good and it feels busy and it feels productive. But when being honest with oneself, if you look in the mirror and you say like, am I contributing to solving the problem? It's like, not really, not really. And you have to be aware that this happens and it it happens over time. It's sort of like slowly, oh, I'm just going to email now. Oh, I'm just going to do this. And next thing you know, you're like, oh, what I actually do is like seven hours of this shallow work a day and it goes on for weeks on end. And you're like, what meaningful like thing did I ship? It's not about it being perfect. It's actually about it being kind of janky because like you said, it's really easy to start like, polishing turds like that's what you do and that's not moving things forward to solve a problem yeah there, there's another another useful framework is uh is the eisenhower matrix which is a common thing that people talk about when they think about prioritization the the eisenhower matrix it's a it's an xy plane on on one axis is importance and on the other is urgency and most people start from what is urgent. And so like the, 
urgent, the urgent important is something that you have to do now. The problem is that most people spend all, almost all of their time in urgent, not important in that mm-hmm. quadrant, because it's really hard to say no to things that feel urgent. The important non-urgent is really where almost all of the value is. And it's probably the most neglected quadrant for all startups. So that that's like, really people should be starting with, is it important? If it is, if it is not important, don't do it. It doesn't matter if it's urgent. You just have to let it go and only work on important things. Mm-hmm. Or not, I mean, the worst case, and this is what happens all too often is the not important, not urgent. So that's like back to the beginning of <laughs> the whole discussion. The bike shed is like, really it's not important and it's not urgent so like the answer on that matrix matrix is like don't do it it's not even don't do it at all it's avoid it at all costs like be so aware be hyper aware of these things because you get you shouldn't do one of them but what happens is like work this idea of like air quotes work that being in the knowledge work industry which we all are we end up doing like 20 of these things, not important, not urgent. And I'm speaking colloquially about it and generalizing, but that's what ends up happening where <laughs> the hour and a half conversation or or the Slack thread about where to eat lunch next week is what happens. And that's, I mean, it's really unfortunate, but that's that's how our productivity gets killed. And you go like, why haven't we worked on that memo? And it's like, oh, I've been so busy. And you, what you were deciding between was like, eating the pizza or the burger, like something random like that. And that's just like, don't waste time on that stuff. Yeah. And it's easy to fall into that trap as well. I, I've, I've been there many times. Like I, I think that I was responsible for engineering and product at my last company, Kardash. And I think the company ultimately died because I was not paying attention. And I allowed, I allowed product to bike shed ourselves to death. I, I vividly remember a meeting. It was a product meeting in September where we were talking about and celebrating what we had delivered for the previous three quarters. And we were planning out what we were going to do for the next quarter. And I, for the first time, was in this meeting when I realized that the version of the product that we had pitched for Y Combinator was a, a very particular way of, of, uh, of taking a picture of your license plates, showing you what repairs you need, having somebody pick up your car service at same day, bring it back to you really convenient, really transparent. And yet nine months later, we had pretty much only done internal tools, making our operations more efficient. And every one of those incremental steps was easily justifiable along the way. But how did we get that far along without building the core product that we had sought out to build? And it's because we we kept thinking about like incremental marginal improvements in operational efficiency. And we allowed ourselves to get distracted from building the core product and finding product market fit. And that was largely my own failure to be able to see the forest for the trees because when you're in the weeds, it's really easy to justify every specific decision. And it's hard to be able to start saying no to things because of this greater context and prioritization. So that's one of the reasons why I 
I really encourage people on our team to take time off, to do think weeks, to have some separation from the day to day. It's, I, I found that I do, I do a week off a quarter for my think weeks and it's really not, it's typically not until the third, maybe even the fourth day of being away from the hyperactive hive mind that I'm able to really think new thoughts mm. and be able to see the bigger picture. And so I, I really do think there's, there's a different mindset that has to be there in order to see the, the bigger picture and move away from what seems really important in the moment. When was it at Kardashian? Like, did you recognize when it was happening or is it Ref, sort of reflecting on it afterwards where you're like, man, that's like what happened? Like, were you aware of it when it was happening or like what, what did that look like? Um, I, I was aware of it after it was too late. Like I, I recognize it more specifically after, after the company was acquired, but it would in the moment when we were in that product meeting, I knew that something was wrong because I recognize that almost all of our resourcing in both design and engineering was going towards improving operational efficiency of a product that still hadn't reached product market fit. And it was because each incremental decision made sense and it was achievable as well. Like doing the hard thing seemed like something to do off in the distant future, but we could solve this very narrowly defined project that was right in front of us. And it was like, we can definitely hit a single here and we would get it delivered. It would feel really good. The numbers would get better, but it totally missed the point of building a startup. Just if you're not finding product market fit, like you're doing the wrong thing. That should be the only thing that you spend your time thinking about. Like when you looked at that after, what was it that you told yourself or like, how did you start thinking about it? Were you like, Never again. I love using that word because the, yeah. the Mike D, like he always uses never again, but it's sort of like you have a revelation. We hear it all the time with members where they'll have like they eat something, they see data and they're like never again. And so they have tools in their toolkit of understanding the downsides to doing certain things. And so like bring it back to this idea of bike shedding, like what is it that you do now to recognize when it's happening or to avoid it or to communicate it to like sort of spread the spread the gospel about it because it's really it really is an important thing and not to stretch it too far but it really will kill companies it does all the time yeah i think the answer is i try to make sure that i have some time to reflect and to be to separate myself from the the day-to-day goings-on of the company um when i'm deeply involved in day-to-day -day operations, I almost always miss these things and I catch on to them months later than I should. I think that, uh, I was talking to one of the founders that I advise recently and he has not yet found product market fit and he really needs to focus on that. But there's like this one-off project that he can do that'll get him a press piece and getting press feels good. And so he is spending almost all of his time, like creating the story, creating a slide deck, creating a pitch for this, like one press hit. And it's like, okay, you are, you have less than a year of runway. You have not found product market fit. 
what are you doing? He's like, yeah, but if we do this press thing, like it's going to change everything. No, it's not. You need to figure out who your customers are. You need to build a product for those customers. And he, he can't see it because he's so attached mm-hmm. to what he's doing now. And it feels easy. He's going to be able to get that press head. So he feels like he can win this and it's going to look like something that's an accomplishment. Whereas trying something new, getting rejected constantly by your customers, it's not a good feeling and it's hard and it's ambiguous. And so most people shy away from it. It's like same thing, as you mentioned around difficult conversations, it's, it's much easier to just avoid them than it is Mm -hmm. to accept that it's going to be uncomfortable and you have to push through it. When you, by the way, it sounds like he's not just choosing the color of the the bike shed. He is now painting it, which is like, that is the worst case scenario. Yeah. And then you're deeply, deeply invested. But <clears throat> what is it that you do to have the conversations? Like they, they can be really hard because hypothetically, we, we spend so much time as a team thinking about feedback, communicating feedback, um, creating content about like how we give and receive feedback but how do you say hey ben that's bike shedding like it might be easy so hypothetically there's somebody that you're very close with and you could say to josh you because like josh you've worked with historically for the longest at the company you'd be like josh i don't know that really feels like bike shedding and somebody newer comes on the team and maybe they're early in their career, they're like a year in and you don't want to be, you don't want to say something discouraging, but helping them to realize like, this is an example of bike shedding. So like, how do you think about approaching these conversations when it's easy to recognize when it's happening? And sometimes you can bite your tongue because you go, let's let this one resolve. And when you do that, no, it's not about avoiding the difficult conversation. It's like, you don't want to get too far ahead of your skis and be like, bike shedding, bike shedding. Like you start doing that and it's just like, man, what are you doing? We're actually trying to figure something meaningful out. So like, it really is an area where EQ has to be high, sensitivity towards like what is and isn't bike shedding and giving people enough runway and autonomy to go and do their jobs well. But what what is it that you do so that you can like, call it out when you see it because sometimes you bite your tongue you're like let's let this, this resolve and like three weeks goes by and you're like that is expensive that is like a uh-huh. lot of bike shedding so like what is it that you do when you think when you sort of see these things and you go should i say something should i like how do how, what's sort of your mental model for it yeah i mean this these are conversations that i've had with a lot of people on the team at different points in time like i I've had this conversation with Miz, who runs operations at some point in the past, where um, I, I really needed him to focus on some really high value things. But because he's really good at building support teams, he just kept focusing on that because he knew that he could win. And it took a lot of back and forth and working on it to get him comfortable with like trying the next thing because it's kind of ambiguous and scary when you don't know if you're going to be successful. And like he knew that he could be 100% successful at building out the support function and building it something really excellent, but he didn't know if he would be successful at the next thing that he tried. Mm-hmm. And so it took some working with him of like, Miz, you're, you're bike shutting this. Like I, you're, you're so fixated on solving the support problem that you're missing these important things that need to be done that somebody needs to do. 
I've had similar conversations with Alan, our head of design, where there are some big meaty projects and concepts that need to be worked on. And he's really among the best people in the world at thinking through behavior change and these types of interfaces and solving these kinds of problems, but he can get pulled in to solving smaller problems that unblock an engineer tomorrow, but don't bring us to that next level. And uh, with him, what I, I insisted on was that he do a think week. I insisted that he break himself away from threads and the day-to-day communication and just really focus on putting down some of his thoughts. And it was incredibly productive. And uh, just for him, having that space to not have to respond to people gave him a, a ton of mental bandwidth to be able to think more deeply about the kinds of problems that we want to solve. So I think that it's, uh, depending on the person, Helena also mentioned this about how her ability to step away from the day-to-day communication really made a big difference in her ability to think about the data science problems that we need to think through. So I, I think that has certainly been my experience is having that separation. Sometimes it's also getting external perspectives is really helpful. So having people who have scaled organizations before, some of the people that I talk to are other CEOs of companies that are larger than ours or people who have been CEOs multiple times and have much more experience than I do and asking them about what I'm spending my time on. And if it's the highest value and the most important things that I could be doing, that's a really helpful perspective. People who, people who have been there who say like, some of the things that has been helpful for me is oftentimes when I, when I find myself solving specific problems and I'm talking to other CEOs who give advice on these things, they'll say, you need to hire somebody for this. Like you're, you're bike shedding. You're, you are doing this because you know that you're good at it and you can do it. And Mm -hmm. hiring is really uncomfortable and coming up with a job description and handing it off something that you care about, handing it off to somebody else feels really scary, but that's what you have to do. And so getting that kind of perspective and realizing like, okay, I, I hear what you're saying. I need to, I need to focus on what's important right now, not what feels urgent in the moment. Yeah. And that's the only way of scaling your time and scaling a company is by identifying these areas and being able to get the wheel going and hand it off as quickly as you can to people to actually take on those projects or take on those those roles but where it gets hard too is the idea of like the emperor's clothes where you never want people to not tell you like if if somebody feels your bike shedding you want to open up that conversation to be like tell me when i'm bike shedding like because it's hypothetically it's harder it might be harder to always identify and even if you've got your spidey senses up and you're like i will pull myself out of any bike shedding that takes place, but sometimes having the reinforcement where someone says to you like, hey, this might be bike shedding a bit, then you can sort of reflect on it for that 30 seconds because the reality is we can't take a think week 52 weeks of a year. (laughs) And so you're not, it's harder, it's really easy to get caught up in the minutia of like comms and moving fast and all these things. So you need somebody to just be like, hey, tap on the shoulder. this feels like a bit of bike shedding. You reflect for 30 seconds. You're like, you're right. Like, what am I doing? And it stops before it gets really bad. So why don't we go through some of the things that 
people can do or some of the the ways people can think about when it comes up, finding some resolution in all of it. So some of the key points, uh, got a few written down here, but the idea of focusing on the issue or the problem that is being solved and always keeping that in the back of your mind where like we, Josh does a great job every week of saying uh, level shows you how food affects your health. If you're not working on helping people understand how food affects their health, then like throw up the flag and say, hey, I need to, to reprioritize. So that's like one way is having everybody mission aligned and problem aligned, but being able to ask yourself, because only like you can do that is say, are the things that I'm doing in this minute, in this hour, in this day, contributing to the problem that we need to solve? And if the answer is no, you really need to check whether or not that's the right area where time should be spent. So one, one of the byproducts of that is not just doing it from an individual perspective and say, like vetting your own work that you're doing, but having everyone be able to keep each other accountable. Where creating this culture, we call it, like we call it short toes in a way, but we'll call it <laughs> the derivative of short toes is like being able to call out bike shedding. So short toes has like many sort of branches to it, but one of them is the idea of like being able to have honest conversations and say like, I feel Maz did it the other day where we were all talking about something. You said, Hey, everyone, this feels a little bit like, like bike shedding. And it's like a hundred percent, you're totally correct. And that's like, that is the right answer. So everyone goes, cool. Let's like wrap up this, communication in this thread because we're all just sort of like lobbing things into the abyss with no real forward movement on it. Yeah. Uh, bike shedding is a lot of conversations end up in these like high entropy bike shed moments where you just <laughs> like the conversation will just eventually devolve into something really trivial that everyone can have an opinion on. And so the conversation just gets to that level where everyone's arguing about something very small. Like we've done a pretty good job of this. Like one, one area that people can get stuck on is oftentimes things that involve something that's current events related or something that's political. And so making sure that you have good alignment and you're able to come to a resolution quickly, have it written down as something that you don't need to readdress like. We have a, a really good memo on this on how we handle gender pronouns in our forms. That is something where many companies will spend tens or hundreds or thousands of hours of people's time arguing over people's opinions on these things. Or you come up with a resolution, you figure out the intent of why you're doing this to begin with, and then you come to a decision and then you don't revisit it constantly. So. There are, there are so many areas where you can easily get distracted in uh, some completely, completely unrelated problem. Uh, I've seen this in a lot of companies as well, where one of our core values is around tolerance, which is we believe that having a diversity of thought is really important. And having people with different backgrounds and worldviews and ideas is a really important part of making a successful company. And we are... We are mission focused on solving the metabolic health crisis and things that are outside of scope for us are not what we're going to be spending our time thinking about. Like we're, we're not going to be changing the color of our logo during pride month. Not that we have anything against it. It's just not related to our core focus. And it's an easy opportunity to find ourselves bike shedding the problems that we need to be solving. 
Mm -hmm. uh, we should be solving on metabolic health. We should not be solving which types of events are going to have some celebration around that's outside of the scope of the problem we need to solve. So making sure that you know what your focus is and what mission you're solving and narrowly focusing on that and solving it with 100% of your focus is really important. Yeah, the Brian Armstrong went through that with Coinbase where eventually there were there were a lot of things that were happening from a societal perspective and a political perspective and things that are important they're very important but they're not important to that company's mission so coinbase said brian armstrong sent out a memo and said if these are things that are important to you we support it we support you but coinbase does not support it because that is not aligned with our mission and so we we are not going to spend time and if that's not if this is not the right place for you that is entirely fine we support that but let's all be honest with ourselves that this is not what we're going to spend our time on and it rubs some people the wrong way and like rightfully so but then it becomes like you always allude to it it becomes a matching problem where it's just like if you want that then you have to find an organization that wants to talk about these things and wants to, and, and we need like, let's also steel man it a bit. Y you need to have both sides of it. So you need to have advocates in the world. You need to have people that are um, protesting and fighting. But when you are in startup mode and startup phase and every minute that you're not spending on solving the problem you set out to solve, it just takes away, it erodes your time so much that it gets to the point where people sort of sometimes they'll look back and they'll be like, I'm not really sure how we failed. And it's like, well, it's, <laughs> it's just like investing. It's all compound returns, like compounding. It's like bike shedding compounds <laughs> exponentially. Well, it just, it compounds over time, over and over and over. And next thing you know, you're at three months of runway and you're like, what happened? Default dead. Yeah. And like, Metabolic health is a sufficiently large problem that it is worth people spending their time solving and getting distracted by every other conceivable problem that the world has. It really limits one's ability to, uh, to solve the core problem that your company's mission is all about. And so it's not to say that one or the other of these issues is more or less important. It's that focus is what brings these things to fruition. And so staying focused on what it is you seek to solve, especially if that mission really is important. The number of people who have underlying metabolic dysfunction, the number of people who will die because of metabolic dysfunction is really significant. And I think it's an important enough mission to warrant that degree of focus. That's exactly it. And so some of that comes down to the idea of like strategies if we're offering tactics, like how can you how can you avoid these things? So time boxing projects or initiatives is a great way where it's really easy for people to be honest in a group, um, whether it's with tasks or decisions to make. But if, if it's like the power plant, the nuclear power plant needs to be done tomorrow or three days from now, everyone's the second something happens. And that's where, why it's called like Parkinson's law of triviality because Parkinson's law, it's going to take as long as you give it time for. And so if that is a 10 year horizon, it's like really easy to fall into these traps. If it's three days, people are like, we do not have time. Like we have to get, you see this with direct to consumer companies when they're really small and starting out where they're like, 
We have to get these boxes out the door. These are orders. We literally need to wrap these and get them in the mail. There's no time to do anything else. And so when you time box projects or initiatives or tasks with decisions to be made, it's easier to avoid that, um, whether it is a small feature, whether it's a project, but saying, hey, here are goalposts. That's one tactic. Another is the idea of steering projects back early as opposed to letting them go on and on. Um, because our time's just so expensive that it really like that is Parkinson's law. If you if a memo, if you allow a memo, like and we we value memos deeply, but there is a point and we don't have maybe you've got better better insight around this, but like a memo that takes full time, it took two solid weeks. There is a point of diminishing returns like that thing isn't getting better with two months of work. It is getting incrementally better. It's probably, and like if we pull it back, it's probably after like six days of work, like after some amount of time, it's probably only getting incrementally better. And so then how far back can you pull it where it's like, can you do this thing in two or three days to get that the initial thoughts out there? Because the initial thoughts are the foundation for the thinking and the discussion to happen. It's not like that. that's back to like, well, we can't ship this thing because it's not perfect. Well, you can do that for four years. Like, nope, it's in yeah. draft mode. Yeah, yeah I, might, I might challenge that on memos specifically only because it, it's highly dependent on the type of memo and yes. the level Agreed. of experience that the person has. Like, there's definitely risk of bike shedding when it comes to memos in terms of like perfectionism. And wanting to have all of the answers instead of delivering something and being able to add to it. Um, I think for a lot of things, it's almost always worth putting in the extra time to really make sure you know the answer. Because a lot of these decisions, especially with our strategy memos, they have they have significant downstream costs. So like a a strategy document that determines our path for a clinical product. The outcome of that memo could end up determining something like 400 eng weeks. If we make the wrong decision, spending an extra like four weeks of time up front could save us a tremendous amount of pain down the road in terms of how we allocate resourcing. Um, when I think about how to avoid tactics for avoiding bike shedding, the thing that really comes to mind for me is another founder friend of mine was saying that he He's a CEO and he says he feels like his job is the chief reminding officer. And that's just all day, every day in all of his meetings. He says once they once they hit a certain scale, I don't remember what scale it was, but he said that he he was now in the influence business as opposed to the execution business. And so he spends almost all of his time just reminding people what the goals are. And things will constantly I was, I was talking to another product leader this morning. And he was saying how a lot of projects uh, are, they're like a Ouija board where you start here and you know what's in front of you, but like <laughs> somehow the spirits keep taking you to the left and to the right. And you, like you as the, as leading the product org or however you, whatever set of problems you have, it's like trying to steer that Ouija board back to the center towards that end state that you want to get it to when the the evil spirits are trying to pull it in one direction or the other. And uh, I really resonated with that analogy because it, it feels that way quite often where like you get total alignment from a memo or from a discussion. Like, great, we all know what we need to do. 
And then a few weeks go by and then you start to look at what's being worked on. And those people, it's not like their opinions have changed, but somehow new justifications and new things that felt urgent made it onto the roadmap. And you're not quite sure how. And then you just sort of let it go. And then the next thing you know, you're three months behind and you don't know how you got there because you thought that you had agreement. It's just a really hard problem of just staying focused on the, the problems that need to be solved. Um, Mark Randolph, who was one of the co-founders of Netflix, talks about how the, the early days of a company are really just all about triage. He says, you want to do a hundred things, but you can only pick three. And it's really hard to say no to those other 97 things. When you're a larger company, you have capacity to do a lot more things. But when you're a small company, it's about picking the three that are the right ones. And if you don't, your company dies. Yeah, and that's why the idea of steering things back quickly and maintaining that focus, simplicity and focus, like really paring things down. One of the things that is hardest to do in any organization at any size, but is likely one of the, if you were to list out a top 10, it's in there, it's probably in a top three list, is the idea of sunk costs and always paying attention to sunk costs and not ignoring them because it's too easy to rationalize like the time that's invested in a project and be like, well, we do have, say, say it is that expensive. We have 500 engineering hours into this thing. We have to keep going. And it's like, it's just like one more hour is not making it any better at that. I assume it's like everyone agrees that like this thing is something we shouldn't be working on. It's like, just stop spending money or time or anything on that because you're, you've recognized that you've invested a lot of time and you're trying to rationalize that, that like it is beneficial to like spend more time on this. And it's just like sunk costs are the currency of bike shit. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. The sunk cost fallacy is, is definitely, we could do a whole nother episode on that. It's another one that I have seen really kill companies and it's, it's definitely a parallel to bike shedding in as much as the when projects start to go off track, if they're not solved, if, if you don't bring it back on track very quickly, it can be an incredible morale drain. Um, I actually, I have a friend who was an engineer at a, because we're about a 300 person company at the time. And they decided they wanted to build some custom piece of software that really didn't need to be built, but they were convinced they had to build a custom solution for a thing that's much more commonly used, uh, much more commonly used as an off the shelf tool. And they took him, he's an excellent engineer, and they took a couple of their other best engineers to work on this for like a year. And it became pretty obvious to anyone paying attention that about three months in, it was not a good idea. But they felt like if they pulled them off now, it would be too much of a morale hit to those people because they just spent three months working on something. And so they thought, well, it's almost done. Another year goes by and they still haven't delivered it. And when they finally deliver it, they end up just not even using it because the off the shelf solution was better. And then of course, all of those engineers quit because it was such a crushing situation of wasting a year of your life on something that never saw the light of day. And so if you if you let these things metastasize and grow into projects where people are committing parts of their lives, they're, they're trusting leadership. 
to a percentage of their life to solve a problem. And if you don't respect that and you just allow people to work on things that are not related to the mission, like it really is the responsibility of leadership to make sure that people are working on the things that are impactful, not just keeping their hands busy.